You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Nipe here, with always. Typical Lydia. Today we're going to be talking about the original horror film, Maniac, 1980. Instead of doing the remake. Yeah, as opposed to the remake, which is like the town bike and everyone's had a ride. I, just, I, I guess. <laughs> but it's fine, because I always like to go back and talk about the original films that a lot of things were based on. I used to do that a lot with uh, my written reviews for Splatter Pictures. Anytime that a film was coming out that I knew had an original, I would go out of my way to make sure I covered the original. And as a matter of fact, back in the day, I was going to make a written review of Maniac. And I even teased it a little bit on the Facebook page, which was asking uh, or stating that uh, back in the day, Tom Savini referred to one of his films as pornography. Which one was it? Uh, The answer was Maniac. Nobody got it. I don't even think anyone even fucking... I'm not popular. No, that or they hadn't read the statements that you had read True. that he made about the film. True. Um, so no one uh, no one responded. And, and eventually, I didn't even do that review. It just kind of went away, which happens sometimes. You really get it into your head that, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then when the new, mani- uh, the new Maniac film comes out, I'll do that one too, and that'll be fun. But yeah, it didn't really happen. And then al- also, I kind of... I worry. The only things about remakes that worry me is I get an idea into my head that maybe the originals will be forgotten. And that, some for some reason, bothers me a lot. I don't... Even if an original is not as good, I always like to point out to people that it did come first. So, like it or not, um... There, you have to pay a little bit of homage to it. Yeah, you wouldn't have the new one without the old one. And I suffer the same problem when books are adapted into film and people don't go out and read the book. Or if it's a book that's very old. Like when Interview with a Vampire was made into a film, I was yes. surprised the amount of people that hadn't read any Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. Or people that had binge read Anne Rice right before the film had come out and hadn't yeah. heard of it before. So it's still important to review those books standalone material and really do recognize that that film that you like that came out later on wouldn't have existed without that original whether you like it or not yeah yeah it's true so maniac came out like i said in 1980 the basic plot of the film is there's a guy who's a maniac shocker (laughs) it's like maniac what's this movie about um the idea is that he goes around finds any women that he can and some men but the mo that he has is he'll kill women scalp them hammer their hair to a mannequin and then talk to it that's in bed like a girlfriend hang out get cozy yeah handcuff himself to it because that's what i do with my boyfriends that's (laughs) it seems so realistic and touching you know i i wonder if his mother handcuffed him to her you know, if that's like ultimate closeness. We're going to get comfortable and be a couple now and get cozy and click go the handcuffs and 
Now, the movie was originally released without even a rating. It was later given an, an R rating, but initially it came out much like Dawn of the Dead with no rating whatsoever. And this was because the film was incredibly graphic for the time. With emphasis on certain scenes. Because um, mm-hmm, by and large, it's not extremely graphic, but I can pinpoint the two things I think that would earn it the R. Yeah. the, the Like, primarily, um, the shotgun scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a scene where it really lingers. Very I mean, visceral, too. Very yeah. bloody. Very visceral. Yeah, very, 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 very gruesome. The rest of the film is a lot of, like I was saying, it's a lot of knife tricks. It's mm-hmm. a lot of, you you cut along here and there'll be a trail of, or, or a few drops of blood that trail behind the blade. Or you'll stab someone here and there'll be a pool of blood where the blade went in. Very easy to accomplish special effects. But, I mean, the camera does go in close and you do linger on those shots. So for at the time, it probably wouldn't... You know what? No, I'm not even going to say that. Not for the, even for the time. Because like I was telling you before, they the, the horror community and and moviegoers in general had already seen... The 70s had already happened. Yeah. And some really crazy stuff came out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Between like, The Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left... Um, I spit on your grave. All of these films came out in that within that decade, and many more that I'm not mentioning. Yeah, we've already seen at that point a fill of lingering human torment, uh, really great body horror mm-hmm. by that point, uh, really good blood special effects. Yeah, yeah, good visceral horror. A lot of bodies being torn apart. Yeah, uh, too stretchy skin and many squibs. Many squibs. <laughs> Um, and that's just and that's just like horror. That's not even including the leaps and bounds that um, that violence took in other genres. It's not like horror was the only thing to change in the seventies. Action films, everything changed. War movies changed. Yeah, war movies was the one that I was thinking of predominantly as far as gore and human anguish. For a splatter film, I don't think it is as violent. As one might suspect, I think that there is definitely some disturbing scenes. Um, the strangulation scene is very intense. It goes on for a while. He's got that fucking crazy look on his face. He's very sweaty. <laughs> it's very sweaty. He's slick and sheen with sweat. Yeah. The shotgun scene is very brutal. The scene at the end... That sort of, like, impressionist bullshit that they do um, is very weird, but very intense. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely some moments in the film that are violent and would warrant an R rating. I don't know. The nudity. The the four seconds of full frontal nudity. The bush. That's true. I forgot about that. We do do see that. Mm -hmm. A very throwaway little scene. Did she have to be naked in a bathtub? Probably not, but... I suppose. I, I thought it was fitting because it was so natural. It wasn't like, you know, ooh, look at me having a 10-minute shower scene, feeling myself up like I do every single morning. Mm-hmm. It was just a chick climbing into the tub done With pretty naturally. Oh, so much bubbles. Hollywood bubble bath. I love that. <laughs> I do love that scene for that. <laughs> it is the most natural unnatural. Out of the few unnatural scenes, like the unnatural uh, graffiti, which means nothing except... It's film geek graffiti. It is film geek. 
um, scrawled along the walls, Apocalypse Now. And the the name of his previous film, Hot Honeys. <laughs> Hot Honeys. Hot Honey. I just like the idea of, of gangbangers in New York in 1980 just being really big Kubrick fans. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They had more important things to spray paint in reality, but for this film set, no. They're all huge film geeks. Yeah, they're just like, oh man, Apocalypse. I was kind of, I was like, maybe they were trying to say that New York is is like the new Vietnam, man. The horror. The horror. Yeah. Is, is that what they're trying to get at? Like, look around, you're in the jungle now, baby. Yeah. yeah that sort of feeling. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Some of the other graffiti in that bathroom said, I love you. True. And things Which was like comforting. That. Comforting, very much so. Especially with him bearing down on his most latest victim and replacement mom. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of mommy issues in this movie. Yeah, and maybe that was what part, was part of the offensive thing because it was really putting something in the forefront now that we ha- are living in an era of, of profiling serial killers and things like that. And we've all read, we're privy to the case studies of some pretty sick individuals. And we've seen the mommy issues, quote unquote, played out. Um, being mm-hmm. an armchair Freudian is not unheard of. Where maybe in the early 80s, late 70s, that was relatively new and relatively fringe thinking. But the big, um, all the serial killers that were coming out, coming out like that. <laughs> like the new release. <laughs> Another serial killer dropped today. Number one in the charts. <laughs> No, uh, what I meant to say was, I just dipped a little bit into my radio personality. <laughs> so, so awesome, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, what I meant to say was, was that not 1980? Did, uh, did the serial killer boom, quote-unquote, not already happen for the most part? Or was that still through the 80s? You know, where they were catch- catching a lot of them in the really notorious ones? It wasn't so. It was until the early 80s that profiling as a career mm. became a thing, in, like, properly. Uh, when we had Andrei Chikatilo in yeah. Russia that became headlines and was, was looked at really closely psychologically. Um, up until that point, that a lot of slashers were just quote-unquote maniacs. Yeah. They weren't looked at from a psychological angle as close as it began they, to be in the early 80s. But they did, in this movie, try to put a bit of a psychology behind it. That's how come, you know, and I was telling you when we were watching the movie that I liked the design of the character's apartment. It was a small bachelor. Mm-hmm. Um, just everything seemed very specific. And I know that you were thinking that things were a little cluttered and... And didn't make a lot of sense, but I thought that, for example, you know, there's a poster uh, that looked like he had taken out of a magazine of a woman in a bathing suit, but just her breasts were removed, like the it was ripped and mm-hmm. torn away, and 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 I almost got a sense that that was telling me a little story, and then the face mask on the back of the door, and the doll in the cage, and him mm-hmm. feeding her cracker jacks, like it it, it all sort of. Well, it all made me think that there was a narrative behind everything in the room. And I thought it was just busy enough to to give the impression of a very well-lived-in space. Yeah, and it is 
well lived in and it is also an extension of his inner psyche which he spends way too much time delving in yeah to as it is he lived very much within his own little fantasy world mostly contained within his head and it spills out into corners of his of his room for sure um but it, it does also have sort of that wide brush strokes feel that the graffiti did that the choreography for lack of a better term of the photo shoot yeah. which made me think that these people hadn't attended a photo shoot maybe before or Probably had not. only had a, a really weird wide brush stroke idea of what an editorial uh, photo shoot is like yeah again they apply those huge wide brush strokes to what uh, a desolate and a more largely abandoned subway restroom looks like when living yeah. with graffiti with some of the, the, the cheesiest graffiti ever. So things about the serial killer's living space struck me as a caricature of. And just two wide brush strokes and not as much realistic ambience given to it. But it, I do agree that they did a good job of extending that inner psyche, those, those little corners of the room mm-hmm. that really reflected what was going on in the killer's head. Uh, the killer is played by uh, Joe Spinell, uh, a character actor with a really big career. People would know him most from, uh, he's in a very small scene in Rocky. Uh, he's in The Godfather, but I can't remember. Yeah, It's been so long since I've seen that movie, mm-hmm. so I don't quite remember who he was in that. I do remember him being sort of like Rocky's family member who was in the mob in the very beginning of the movie but at any rate he plays this role uh a lot of shades to it there's moments where he's very charming and normal natural speaking to people you would not really suspect that he is a psychotic murderer. There's other moments where he's uh, muttering to himself, talking to his mother, Norman Bates-like. And then there's moments where he's just pure rage, screaming like, you bitch, and strangling people. And then there's moments where he looks like he might be eight years old, sort of rocking Which didn't work for me. That whole... That like yeah, I even said when we were watching it, this could be really creepy. Except that he looks so foolish, and I think that that whole when he's being at his most normal, he still has that creepy casting couch kind of Ron Jeremy vibe to him. Not that I find Ron Jeremy creepy; he's actually really sweet. But he could be. You know, you put a little bit of that what sweat on him the way that you never know Frank does in this movie Frank the killer just looks fucking weird he does look just fucking weird and it's that creepy casting couch vibe that he has for the most part most times just the dumpy schlubby body the beady eyes the sort of rat like face the stringy hair Perverts row at a strip bar. Yeah, yeah. It just, just really creepy. And so his romance, quote unquote, with Anna, with Anna, this gorgeous, gorgeous statuesque 
British photographer who is just so into him. And she's friendly, hip, and happening. She could have her pick of anyone, but she zeroes in on this random, utterly random perv, really, because he looks like a perv. He does, and it's so strange because she takes a picture of him in a park randomly. Yeah. Then he goes over to her bag when she's not looking. He takes the opportunity to quickly check her address. And then the next time we see him, he is literally at her home or studio or whatever. I think it's her home slash studio. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the first thing out of her mouth is, (laughs) oh, hey, I'm just developing a picture of you uh, right now. And, and, And then she invites him in. They're talking. Almost like old friends. And, just and, instantly attached. And and it's almost as as though we're missing a scene. In a way. That's what it feels like. Because she is way too friendly. Way as if she expected him. Yeah. Which she shouldn't because he definitely got her address through nefarious means. Yeah. The first question out of my mouth would be, uh, hey man. <laughs> How the fuck did you find me? And you just wait out there. I'm going to call the police. Or leave out the back door or, or something. Back door. Get some hired goons to take care of you. Like, burn my place down and salt the earth, you beady-eyed freak. Yeah, she's definitely a single white female in New York. And a professional female at that that has interactions with all sorts of people. She's definitely encountered a creepy stalker before. Yeah. And he is a creepy stalker, but instead of reacting like he's a creepy stalker, she's just like, hey, come on in. And then he asks her out on a date, and she says yes, like immediately, let's go to dinner. Yeah. Even after that, when he calls and he's like, can you be ready in 10? She's like, oh, can you be ready in 5? And I'm like, who does that? She's so excited to see him. And then, and then he shows, like the next day or whatever, he shows up at her work unannounced when she's taking... When she's got models going and and music going and taking pictures, he just shows up. And she's genuinely surprised to see him, but also happy. She didn't know that he was coming. So it's like, lady, this dude just showed up at your house and you didn't know who he was. You don't know how he found you. Now he's just shown up at your work. And where did he know where that was? And, And she's just nothing, nothing. I was like, is it, was it because it was 1980 where we just come out of the 70s and everyone was still friends? Were we not afraid of people yet? <laughs> no, I think we were afraid of people. Because I, I would be terrified. I think maybe, maybe because she li- has a, like a broader worldview because she's supposed to be um, French and she's obviously come there from somewhere else. So maybe she's just had such a charmed life up until that point and, and traveled and, and met so many different people with her photography that she is friends with everybody. Maybe she's just been really lucky up until that point. Wouldn't that... Because I find that the more well-traveled and the more learned people are, the more cautious they are. And yeah, the more wary you'd be because you've seen more of yeah. this sort of behavior. And, and you know... You can trust your gut and her gut is just so wrong. And she's just so willing to go along with this guy... I wonder why is Anna spending any time with this person? They're obviously unsettled. He's definitely got, even though we can't see it, the sweaty palms. He's probably sweating bullets. He's probably pale and he's probably shaking. He's tweaking out. He looks like a junkie. He's got these crazy eyes, which we do get to see lots. But he's obviously 
not all there, not all together, and he definitely has some some issues. And... Oh, for sure, he definitely has a bit of a coiled spring. You can tell oh, yeah. that. But these girls are just like, "Hey, how's it going? Let's hang out alone." Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, I guess for the sake of the narrative, you have to have that happen. I just don't know why they would include it. I think so much more believable if they would cast somebody who you can see. Oh yeah, okay. I can see why this girl would be comfortable alone with this person, or I can see why this per- this girl would let this person into their world so readily. Yeah. When they've cast the absolute opposite of that, he's not the sort of person that I'd want to have sitting on a couch just hanging out during an editorial photo shoot, just staring, muttering to himself about his mummy. <laughs> <laughs> Mutter so much muttering happens. We get um, he he tricks one of the models at the shoot. To get into her apartment where we're treated to some exposition about his mother and all the men she used to see. Was she a hooker? Was that what the... No, I think she was just a free-living woman. A free-living woman. I'd have to watch and pay closer and, attention. And, maybe uh, she was. Maybe and, and a bit of a disciplinarian oh. on him. Yeah. Uh, there were scars on his, on his body that you would assume were given to him because of the way that she would discipline him. Yeah, and the cigarette putting out on the mannequin scene is probably a lot to do with how he was treated as a child. Yeah. So uh, instead of just a very quick kill, which all the kills were, he gets her and then he toys with her. And it's weird because it's really only there to get that exposition out Mm -hmm. so he can have a long bit of dialogue before he kills this woman and so we as the audience can sort of get a glimpse into the relationship that he had with his mother and probably why he's insane although maybe that is old thinking because you'd have this one specific quirk in your background that would make you crazy well they start out right at the very beginning with the altar and him talking about his mother so you do know that it's a deep issue within him and probably what is driving him they establish that he has horrible mommy issues. He was treated poorly by his mom, and that's why he kills these girls. And Is with it, each kill, they give a little more of a glimpse and a little more of the things that he says that shed light on the way that she treated him specifically. And at and, and that point, that he does explain it all. But it's all by that point, it feels like he's explaining it all over again. Do you feel like they were heavily influenced by Psycho? Uh, to a certain degree, yes. Though not so much in film technique as storyline. But even then, it seems sort of like cliche to be mm. like, oh, this guy's killing women. Why? Well, his mother obviously treated him terribly. Yeah, like Charlie Manson was treated terribly by his mother, and he makes no bones about that. And that came up pretty early in the trial. Mm-hmm. And it served as a lot of the blame as to why Charlie Manson thought the way that he thought. So, of course, all you have to do at that point is wave that flag of, oh, my mom treated me badly. That's why I'm slaughtering all these women. Seems like a cop-out, kind of lazy writing. Oh, man, and that would have been, yeah, like 1980s, like the Manson killings. Six years after, seven years after. Yeah, so that's enough to let it sink into the zeitgeist. and. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it was. That and headlines like, um, I don't know if Green River Killer, Hillside Strangler, a lot of those um, really real headline fuel type serial killers had been around. I know that they did specifically say that the shotgun scene 
was influenced by the Zodiac Killer. And and that was definitely... Uh, oh, it really reminded me of Zodiac, too, in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, who was um, going around New York shooting people. Oh, it was in New York, San oh, Francisco. Thank you, thank you. Uh, San Francisco with uh, shooting people in parked cars. It was almost the exact same thing. Although... In this, they used the double-barrel shotgun. I don't think the Zodiac was using a double-barrel shotgun. Well, I don't know. He used knives, too. Um, but the Zodiac was one of the killers that did the same thing that Frank is doing in this film, is striking fear into the hearts and minds of all females and their families in the entire area. Not enough for them to take any precautions whatsoever. Oh, even to the point where the nurses are like, yeah, i got to be careful with that maniac running around because yeah. I'm going to walk down this dimly lit alleyway for a while yeah. I was like, Do you, do you want to lift in this, in this comfortable car with my husband? No, 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 no. I'm going to walk down this deserted alley yeah. into the deserted subway. Yeah. That'll fix me. <laughs> that, that made no sense to me. I was like, if you have your characters throwing out dialogue about how nervous they are or how creepy it is that there's a maniac running around, why are they now going off? It would note? fit so much better if someone would be like, hey, what do you think of this headline, this maniac running around, and have the nurse say something like, oh, I'm tougher than that, or oh, he's only targeting this kind of girl, or I'm not afraid, or... I make this walk every night. Something, you know, ballsy. It's like, like, there's 7 million people in this city. I'd have to be the unluckiest person in the world to meet up with this guy. (laughs) Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you could could play those beats. But no, instead they're like, ooh, I'm awfully nervous. I guess I'm going to go do things that make me more nervous. It's like, goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I'm really afraid of sharks. Now. I'm going to go swimming in the shark tank with this raw meat around my neck. Yeah. (laughs) Hope nothing bad happens to me. I'll be okay. Yeah. You sure you wouldn't like us to come in there with you with some shark repellent and big spears? Nah, I'll be fine. You guys wait out there. The water looks a little cold. Don't worry, I'm fine. Yeah. Now, there is a lot of, like, clashing thought going on of, you know, women trusting a man that looks not trustworthy um, yeah. people not being so afraid of something that's striking terror into their very hearts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. So there are parts that don't seem to fit, but seem to drive the narrative. It's almost as if he's the less cool and collected Norman Bates. He's like the sweaty, agitated Norman Bates. Is he supposed to be the city dweller's version of Norman Bates? Is that what it's supposed to be? Where they're like, Maybe. oh, no one lives alone in that, you know, life of Riley lifestyle where they <laughs> <laughs> live in a huge house adjacent to the hotel they own and or the motel, the motor lodge that they own. And they, you know, have this opulent life with no real, you know, attachment to the real living world that's bustling around this other killer with the same sort of mommy issues. We've used the words mommy issues a lot. It's a part of the plot. I know. You can't you can't escape it. it. Seems so pop though. That that could be it is the most uninspired aspect of this. Like if you wanna really think about it, like Psycho happened. And that was a big movie. Mm-hmm. And then this movie comes out like twenty years later, and it's just kind of another serial killer with mommy issues. Kind of but but a, a very updated version of that, using elements 
that had been in the headlines just a few years before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shaping it into a new kind of killer. So it's a it's a digestible way of explaining to the public, like, oh, these killers that you read about in real life in, in certain larger cities that are terrorizing people, uh, we can find a nice explanation in fiction and blame it on that they were probably mistreated by their mothers as chi- as children. So that's like a, a palatable explanation for all of this. Because would it be ten times more scary if there wasn't the mummy issue angle and he just liked scalping chicks and putting their hair on mannequins for reasons? I think it would have been, for me, it might have been a little more interesting. One of the things that I like a lot about this movie uh, is the fact that Frank genuinely seems to not want to do what he's doing, but it's like he can't help himself. Mm -hmm. In the same way that someone who's addicted to alcohol says, ooh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't drink that. And then you drink it knowing it's bad. Or someone who wants sugar and, you know, and and they're just like, I can't, I I need too much sugar, I can't eat any sugar. And and then, you know, you're at the store buying yourself a Coke. Like, you can't... <laughs> or you want to at least have it accessible. You feel more comfortable having bought booze or knowing the liquor store is still open. If you should want some or the bar nearby is will accommodate you, it's when the bar is closed and the liquor store is closed and, oops, you screwed up and didn't go buy booze you didn't really want because you shouldn't really have it. Frank seems really comfortable once he's got a fresh scalp in his apartment and a mannequin to take it on and someone to talk to yeah and he becomes really agitated just before he's about to go out saying he doesn't want to almost pleading he doesn't want to do it and the second he's done he goes in the bathroom and pukes wretches Mm -hmm. and then comes back out and just looks very ashamed of what he's done and there seems to be regret not enough not to kill people not enough not to mutilate them after he's done but just enough to sort of hate himself for doing it well that's the thing that we're supposed to believe and that what police work related to serial killers shows is that by the time they're making headlines and we're noticing them and they're getting sloppy and they're killing more and more they want to be stopped because they don't feel that they could stop themselves until the authorities stop them so i guess that is what we're supposed to be seeing by the time he's reached that point when we first meet him killing Mm -hmm. the prostitute that he's reaching that point of getting sloppy getting really regretful really remorseful can't control himself and realizes that that it's not going to stop yeah. And he is, yeah, pleading with himself or pleading with his own inner demons, i.e. his mother, that it's going to keep happening and he wishes it could stop. But once he's back home and has everything right again, in his mind, right being having a scalp to put on a mannequin that he can hang out, talk to and cuddle with, then he's not agitated anymore and that fixes it for the time being. It's interesting that one scalp doesn't really seem to do him for 24 hours. (laughs) You know, in terms of murdering and scalping and he's 
He's like a love him and leave him type of guy. That or maybe they get gamey or the, the luster of the hair goes off. Like he is trying to brush and style the hair at that one point. Does a really crummy job of it. I'd never let him at me with a hairbrush, that's for sure. I don't know. Like what can you really do for someone's hair when it is detached? Like, detached. like what? Like I don't know enough about hair. Well, it stays pretty much the way it does, but I'm sure if there's any sort of like tussling or if any debris gets into it it's probably not going to look as good as it did when he found it yeah yeah like wig care is one thing scalp care that's still attached to a rotting gamey bleeding soon to be maggot infested human scalp is a totally different thing yeah he does a really shitty job like it's so it's so it seems so temporary like Mm mm-hmm he he gets and where does he keep getting the mannequins from? Does he steal them? I don't know because he says he's a painter, which it fits so much better in the remake when he's a mannequin restoration technician. Yeah, and that's a great angle, and that's almost another angle that makes him a believable mate for Anna because he's this okay-looking fella that owns his own business. Yeah, okay. it's weird because in this movie. He says he's a painter. You never see his work or any painting that he might have done. He seems to have. He seems to be flush with cash. Yeah. Um, and he also seems to not have to work. Like he see he 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 goes to sleep. He wakes up. He starts prepping for going out, as he calls it. Going out, of course, is. Stalking and killing someone, he comes home and then he just cuddles up with cuddles his handcuff up with cu- mannequin. Yeah, and that's the end of it. Maybe it's that temporary nature of the the body. So, like, even though it's a mannequin's body, the hair makes it into the cadaver in a way. Yeah, puts her clothes on it. And stuff. Yeah, um, it reminded me of um, Jeffrey Dahmer. How he didn't just want to have the one head in his fridge wasn't enough. He had others around him and he wanted a collection of skulls. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to have sort of like this uh, harem in a way. I guess it would translate. It would have translated in his mind as this harem of people around him that were close to him. And lovers in a way. In that necrophilia, totally detached, skull on your table way Mm -hmm. of having it be a lover. To have more than one. Many, many holes to fill, these guys. Many gaps in their in their souls, I suppose. And they need multiple <laughs> partners, quote-unquote, Yeah. around at all times. Or, I th- on the other hand, I think it's just the gaminess of a rotting scalp wasn't attractive anymore. Their yeah. hair wasn't attractive. I know they didn't del- dwell on that angle of the mother so much, or things that he liked about his mom. They dwelled a lot about the bad things that his mother did. But mm-hmm. there must have been some really great things that his mother did for him to be so, so attached. Yeah. And so, so in love and trying to recreate his mom with these women in a certain way. Yeah. Um, some sort of attachment to her hair. And then regressing as a into a, a child in some scenes where he's sort of shaking and rocking and saying mommy or putting on a a baseball hat and playing with toys and Mm -hmm. it seemed to be when he was the most comfortable when he had the most amount of scalps and he's done the most amount of killing and he's had the ultimate closeness with anna and other women and having like he's almost reached perfection in a way yeah as far as his goals are collecting these scalps stalking women and having people be close to him in the only way he knows how 
then he regresses into this really happy place of eating Cracker Jacks and bobbing around in, in, in his chair, listening to his Christmassy thing. That's something that people don't seem to talk about. This is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie, and I didn't realize until I saw the wreath on his door and the whole uh, "Are you Christmas shopping?" question from the neighbor. And he's got a full tree in his in his apartment. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect Christmas movie in so many ways. And the bright lights of New York City at night. Oh, hustle and bustle. Yeah. It's funny because it's almost a non-issue that it is set sometime around Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's not as though he puts on a Santa suit and kills people. It's not as though... It's not as though Christmas is germane to the plot at all. It just so happens to be around that time. The Mm -hmm. one thing that I thought was odd was that he took the time to... Yeah, I'm gonna... I live by myself in a bachelor apartment. Yeah, I'm gonna put a wreath on. Yeah, I'm gonna put a tree up. Yeah, I'm gonna have a Christmas music box. You know, I just (laughs) thought it was really weird. And of course, it didn't help that there was... Like, bloody scalps nailed the mannequins in the apartment, too. Oh, it's festive. It's red. Yeah. It's like garland. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) It's like garland. I don't know. More like Gorland. I put my Gorland. Jacked the halls with scalps. That was a Crypt Keeper level of pun right there. Yeah, it was. It was. High fives, boils, and ghouls. But no, it is one thing to be like living alone, and you're this this lonely schleppy dude that has horrible issues and is is some sort of binge killer uh, to decorate. And you know, you might you you want to envision that they do something like really ridiculous, like just have like a a, a half burnt Christmas tree they found in the dumpster or something like that, yeah. and just throw that in the corner. But no, he has a wreath and he has the music box. Yeah, decorate it with doll heads or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I decorated my tree for Christmas this year. I have a tree. Yeah, Yeah. so we have a tree too, but we're also not killing people in the mean streets of New York. What? That's why I hang out with you. (laughs) No. I don't know what you read in my blog, but it's all lies. No, yeah. Um... No, to go along with this, like, well-thought-out decor with all the little corners of his psyche uh, present in his apartment, you would think that he would be putting doll heads on his Christmas tree. Yeah. And his wreath would be made of underpants or something. Yeah. But no, it's pretty normal, pretty Christmassy, pretty plain. Maybe it goes back to it be- to his childhood. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, Christmas time. Christmas time is a fun time for kids. I'll put a Christmas tree up because oh, I can't see Frank's mom being very Christmassy. Don't think so. I don't no, think so. I'll just put that out there. She probably didn't celebrate Christmas at all, and probably just like put cigarettes out on him for Christmas. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I can see that or something cheery like that. <laughs> maybe that's what's supposed to be. I've triggered him to kill around that season. Could be. They don't get into it like you would think if it was like typically with a Christmas. And horror, when you mix the two, the Christmas seeps in every chance it gets. And you're definitely going to find some cadaver wrapped up with Christmas lights. True. At one point. But you don't see any of that. All in all, an enjoyable Christmas film. I feel like we should have saved it. I won't saved it until next year. For Christmas? Yeah, yeah. just saved it. Yeah, to get past all the typical uh, offerings during Christmas, that all the typical horror films that are covered around Christmas time. Yeah, 
it's kind of a sleeper. I don't remember seeing it on any lists of Christmas horror films either. Yeah, even the alternative ones, you don't really... Yeah, Maniacs, not on that radar. Maybe because it's not enough, even for them. But then again, like, if people say Die Hard's a Christmas movie because it takes place on Christmas, this, this counts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's as much of a Christmas film as Die Hard is. Die Hard has a little more Christmas to it, but, yeah, it's about the same level of Christmassy as far as blood and human anguish. <laughs> well, it's true. If that's Christmassy to you, then Maniac and Die Hard. It's true. You know, going back to what you were saying about a lot of those scenes being shot in uh, the apartment, um, Joe Spinell really carries this entire movie. He's in every scene. And it, it wasn't until uh, re-watching it that I realized how small the cast really is for this film. Mm-hmm. You have people that he interacts with, and then you have entire scenes where he's talking to himself. So he's in every scene. Mm-hmm. And characters are so anonymous they get killed and then that's it even the towards the end like the cops they don't have any lines of dialogue they don't have names they're nothing yeah they just show up in an unmarked car without uniforms and you know they're cops because there was a shitty siren on their (laughs) hood the caps the caps caps. no mention of the caps until that point yeah, not at all. Mm-hmm. Just just big headlines. Yeah, he watched himself on the news. I guess that's maybe... I'd like to see... Now I'd want to rewatch it and see if the cops are in that scene on the news, which I <laughs> doubt they were. No. Because they are a totally anonymous, nameless, and I think that the um, half the kills were nameless. Some of the characters you spend a little time with, um, and you do spend time with the female lead. Uh, what was the character's name again? Anna. Anna. Anna, yeah. You do spend time with her. Again, he calls her up. He wants to see her for dinner. She's going to be there in 10 minutes, not 15. She's that excited to see him. Instead, he takes her in the middle of the night to his mother's grave, and he starts breaking down. He tries to choke her out. I've had so many dates like that. Oh my god, I can't even begin to tell you. This is why you're going to be single forever. Because you won't stop running. If you just stop running, it'll all be over soon. Maybe if I stop taking boys to my mom's grave. I'm (laughs) kidding. My mom's alive. She's alive Uh, and hearty. But no, it's true. And and she's there to comfort him. She doesn't think this is weird. And she's not, like, turned off at this at all. I know. She does say it was a long time ago, which would be the point I would make that, I mean, come on, I know that if your mother died in a car accident when you were small, but getting a little old having you blubber like this as a grown man in your 40s. Yeah, I kept expecting her, expecting her to be, like help him up and away from the grave and be like, come on, let's go. Let's no, go. because he's, he's ready to kill now. Why he bothered to try to pursue a relationship with her or even a facsimile of one, right? Yeah. He had so many opportunities to just kill her and he pulls no punches. You're talking about a dude that's so ballsy he will blow people away at the side of a busy road. Yep. Um, he will stalk someone through a subway. That's abandoned slash not abandoned at all because of the scene where you point out that there are many people milling around on the other side. Yeah, that she's just not drawing attention to. I don't know if that was a goof or not. But this guy has these fucking balls of steel with how bold he is killing people. 
but why why i see i just didn't understand it's like why go through the motions he had her alone so many times that he could have just killed her was he trying to pursue a relationship with her do you like her the best like i don't know I suppose if you don't have that scene, or those scenes, excuse me, you don't really have a movie. You don't really have anything other than a dude going around killing people, which is the major point of the film, but there's other shit going on. And I guess he wouldn't have gotten caught had he not trying to kill her and her getting away. Her the only competent person that could break his grip. The only person that was important enough to him that he didn't want his desire, his will to kill to have. He didn't want his mm-hmm. mother psyche to have wanted to keep her separate from that to a certain extent but his killer instinct overwhelmed all of that yeah eventually even more and maybe that's part of it he's he's reached a point where he's sloppy he seems to want to get caught he's ramping up more kills probably and then he wants to try and give this one an avenue out or an avenue into an actual relationship with him right it's hard to tell but is it because he has heightened the game at that point and it's an even more at the bigger thrill for him at that point or because he genuinely does want to stop and explore an actual adult relationship he seems capable of talking to people normally he seems like he has had interaction with others before which is funny because when you watch the whole start of the movie to the midway point before he starts going out into the public, you would think that he has never fucking said more than two words to anybody who was alive. Yeah, that he's always this grunting, sweating, weird stalker. Yeah. But he cleans up pretty good. He still looks weird. He does still look weird, but he has, you know, he has nice clothes and he does keep himself all right and he has got groovy sunglasses which is all you really needed in 1980 <laughs> <laughs> it's true in 1980 i do believe all you needed was groovy sunglasses in 1980 my father bought me star-shaped sunglasses that instead of the 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 bands that go over your ears like the the straight parts yeah um what would you call his arms of yeah, the glasses arms, yeah. It had chains that went around your ears that dangled down to even larger, cooler stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So groovy sunglasses, 1980. Yeah. He also had, like, these um, chips-style aviator sunglasses that were bright yellow. I remember this clearly. Sunglasses were very big in 1980. Bigger now. Bigger than now. Bigger than I wasn't now. alive in 1980. <laughs> I was five. I was five. <laughs> and I had the coolest sunglasses ever. You did. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. Cool sunglasses. It's all you really needed. That's probably why that girl trusted him so much. So what you're saying is, I gotta get me some sunglasses. Yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Cool ones. And then ladies be all like, hey, hey, you just showed up at my house and I don't know you, but come on in because I'm developing a random photo I accidentally took of you. Not so accidentally. Anyway, all in all, I'd say uh, this movie has its strong points. It's not my favorite, but I do think that I'm kind of of two minds. On the one hand, when I look at certain films that get remade I just 
don't understand why they bothered. When you look at Psycho, why did they remake that? When they look at the Halloween franchise, why? Why? I don't get it. Or Evil Dead. They or did e- a good job, but why? Yeah. Carrie. Yeah. Why? Carrie, very unnecessary. There very was nothing wrong with it. No. Maniac, I think, did not... I don't think that there could have been too many people out there that would be like, Yo, Rowan, my childhood. <laughs> don't fuck it up. Not Maniac. Not the crown jewels of Maniac. <laughs> That's a horror film's horror film. Don't touch that. It's don't sacred. Don't touch it. It's sacred. No. no, I can see why you remade it because there are those those things that just don't add up, that don't make sense or that clash with one another that are so easy to iron out that were, for the larger part, ironed out entirely in the remake. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said about having a little bit more money, mm-hmm. having some better actors involved, having a tighter script. It was improved. That being said, I think that Maniac has some good moments, some good ideas, Mm-hmm. some good special effects and i don't think it's it's all that bad but i think it was if if you needed to remake anything i could see why you remade they remade that mm-hmm. you know they probably just looked at it and said yeah maybe it's time maybe this doesn't it certainly doesn't it's not what i would say holds up it's not. It's not like when you're looking at something. Like, oh, this totally holds up. Like, like Halloween totally holds up, but Maniac does not hold up. <laughs> yeah, no, it hasn't aged well, and no. it isn't not. And it isn't entirely because it's a victim of its time and its era. It is not completely steeped in 1980. No, there are some things that are definitely mm-hmm. 1980 about it, but it's not locked in and steeped into its role, and not a victim of the 80s, but. It hasn't aged well, and it doesn't transfer well. And it's not even because of sophomoric acting at all. There isn't. It's, the acting is very good. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the acting's really, really good. The effects are, while plain for the most part, aside from the shotgun scene, it's okay. It's passable. It holds up. Yeah. They're good. The yeah. blood looks like blood. The knife th- right through the girl, that was a fun one, too. That was a good one, yeah. Yeah. So there is, you know, that's good. The psychology, sophomoric, yeah. but okay, sure. And it yeah. plays into that whole, there's a killer on the loose fear. But no, it doesn't It doesn't hold up. It hasn't aged well. Yeah, the, 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 the psychology points, like sophomoric, it's a good word for it. I think the people were still, they had a blueprint of what the serial killer was. Mm-hmm. They had an idea for sure. And there were certainly other movies that had touched on the subject. But I think that it just wasn't quite there yet. The idea wasn't fully formed yet. Hmm. And it's not made out to be as vile. You know, we maybe watching it in 1980, you'd be like, oh, wow, his mother treated him so terribly. I totally get why he turned out like this. Yeah. Or we look at it now, where we're like, and so yeah. it's not all bad. You're obviously unhinged to begin with, if that sets you off. Um, but then in the remake, they really drive it home where you're like, oh my God, she was a monster. Or yeah. I'm not convinced in the original that his mother was as big of a monster. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to say. 
Yeah. I mean, you're 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 listening to the testimony of a muttering freak show that has a woman tied to a bed and is toying with like putting a knife into her chest. I don't think I'd believe him. All the, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and and maybe you know the dialogue's supposed to be presented as fact, but it's just not convincing. Mm-hmm. And so you're just like, eh. for all I know. She did one thing, and he blew it up into his mind. That's this crazy thing. I look, you, you, you're the main, the the, the fucking tightrope that we're walking in this film is that the main character, the guy in every scene, is someone that you shouldn't like or identify with, and a completely unreliable narrator. Yeah, yeah. So you don't trust him. You don't like him. You don't believe him. Yeah, and yeah. this is your. This is the fucking guy. Mm-hmm. This is not from the vic from any of the victims' point of view whatsoever. Yeah, this is definitely from the killer's point of view, and within that, it is pretty cool. But I don't. I, I just can't imagine anyone was like, "No, don't touch Maniac. Don't remake <laughs> it. Don't remake it." Yeah, no, and I, I can't like remembering back a couple years when the remake was being made. Um. I don't remember anyone reacting like that. Yeah. I remember a lot of people being very interested to see how it would turn out. Yeah. But it's sort of like uh, funny games being remade shot for shot, albeit, yeah. and not like, what is it? I think it was 10 years after he made the first one, not this mm-hmm. expanse of time. Um, there was no one saying, oh, God, no, the original is perfect. Not that he changed anything in funny games, but it wasn't yeah. that golden gem of exploitation horror drama type film that anyone was against it being remade but again it is important to remember that it did come first and i my favorite thing to do with all these movies especially the old ones i I seem to be on a real uh like mid to late early 80s kick these days i seem to be kind of gravitating towards films in in that era and i really like to put myself in the shoes of audience goers while I'm watching these types of films Mm -hmm. to see what would have been shocking for their time. And I've been doing that ever since I saw The Exorcist for the first time. You know, you look at that movie and it would be so shocking for the time. But when I watched it, I was like, I don't get it. She's swearing a lot. Why is this, (laughs) like, why is this, like, I've, I've heard so much about this movie. Infamous... The Exorcist. I saw it in the re the re release in the theaters for the first time, and I was just like, I don't get it. But then I started practicing the idea of like, okay, put all that cynicism and modern crap aside, and and you're a moviegoer, you don't really know what this movie is going to be about, and you're seeing stuff like this. Same with mm-hmm. Maniac. I could see people going to this film and seeing, you know, kills. From the get-go, the first fucking minute of the movie, you got yourself a kill, or at least set up to a kill and a kill. Yeah. Um, pretty graphic, pretty gruesome. You have a very long strangulation scene where, I mean, I wish that woman fought a little harder, but you feel really sorry for her. Yeah, and it um, shows how brutal the kill you're dealing with is. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, I think the next one after that is the shotgun. So in the first 30 minutes, this movie fucking goes for it. Mm-hmm, 
Um, and it's apparent he's collecting trophies and things like that. Oh, so he's, yeah, he's yeah, really, yeah. really gruesome guy. It's really gruesome, really sick stuff. And so I could definitely see why people would have been shocked to it. I think now that horror, how horror has changed, I think it was time for, for a remake. I, and how the audience had changed. I think it was time for a remake. So I don't mind that they made the remake. I do like the remake. I don't think I don't really know if I like one more than the other. I like them both about the same. Mm, that's a tough one because I do enjoy the filmmaking techniques used in this, the new one. Mm-hmm. I love the way it's shot. It's yeah. really cool yeah. and it really makes you feel pretty creepy afterward. Yeah. Just because you're so used to looking through that point of view and then to step mm-hmm. away from it after however many minutes it is, mm-hmm. it's it gives you a little bit of a of a head fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, only because of the way it's filmed, not as much of subject matter. Because if it was subject matter alone, the original would have the same effect, and it doesn't. So it's on the merit of that effect. I like the remake better, mm-hmm. but that's just a really small thing. I'd have to agree that I do like them both equally because you wouldn't have had the story if it wasn't for the original. Yeah, and the original is, aside from its you know conflicting ideas mm-hmm. it is a pretty tight story yeah it is uh, it's easy to follow and gets right to the point runtime is not too long not too short it's 87 minutes ish mm-hmm. so yeah it's good but if you're curious about maniac or wanted to wait to see the original first uh go ahead i mean it's it's worth your time Oh, you won't definitely. be disappointed. The remake is on Netflix right now, I think. Uh, or you can get it anywhere. Um, me being the guy that I am, I have both. Mm-hmm. So, that's just how I do. I had watched the original ages ago on VHS and didn't really pay too much attention to it. I remember not caring for it so much, but I mm-hmm. didn't really watch it very intently. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that interested in it, but I watched a lot of movies around that time that I wasn't very interested in that weren't very interesting, so it just sort of ended up in this big glut of yeah. hundreds of 80s horror slashers that weren't that appealing or interesting to me. Um, a few of them seemed to be creeping back, Maniac being one of them. And on that note, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. I I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it that way. It's just that they... They don't know when to stop. They never know when to stop. That's why they have to be stopped. It is your right. You're right. But not like that. Not that way. Please... They'll take you away from me. You have to be careful not to listen to me. We can't live like this. I have to go out. And each time it's like this. I get so scared that they'll take you away. But they won't if you do what I say. They won't take you away, not ever. Not ever, I swear.